Hello, my name is Rodrigo, and this is the Ether Podcast. This is Ryan. And this is Rachel. And today we have uh, the great privilege of having a guest speaker. As you know, uh, last time we had our podcast, we addressed the issue of divorce because we're in Mark 10, and that's what Mark 10 talks about. And uh, we said that we were going to do this in two parts. The last part that we did this, and we talked about the topic of divorce. We did so very much from the context of the scripture and the scripture that that scripture references. And basically, we promised you we were going to bring in a wise expert uh, to talk about this topic and some of the complexities of it. And boy, do we have an expert. Our guest speaker today is John Brush. And uh, he is an elder in the South Florida, in the Broward Church. There's not the South Florida Church anymore. In the Broward Church in Fort Lauderdale in sunny South Florida. He is one of the most knowledgeable and wise people I've ever met in my life. He is somebody that I admire very much and someone that luckily I get to call my father-in-law. He is my wife's father and it's a pleasure for us to have him here. He has uh, many years of experience. As I said, he is an elder and in part of his job, he has pastored uh, a lot of very difficult situations and has a lot of firsthand experience with this topic. And so without further ado, John, why don't you say a little bit more about yourself and then uh, we'll get going here. Well, it's a great honor for me to be with you, Rodrigo and Ryan and Rachel. And, you know, this, uh, yeah, what more can be said? I thank you for your kind words. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody that's really an expert in an area like this. Uh, we are more, uh, maybe we have some experience, but I don't think uh, expert can be used. Uh, but uh, really it is, this is a, such a complex and yet a very relevant issue in our churches today. Uh, and so I, I feel uh, grateful that we can begin and have this discussion and hopefully it will uh, lead many more people to the discussion on this topic. Uh, to really try to find out God's uh, will for their lives and for their marriages, because um, the issues of, of the issue of divorce as it relates to uh, our relationship uh, with God and also the relationships in the church is a very complex and emotional one, and we cannot even think that we can begin to touch the tip of the iceberg on this subject in a in a podcast. Mm -hmm. So I just I just pray that it gets people uh, searching and reading and discussing and praying for God's will, uh, because we know that Satan is an disguises himself as an angel of light from Second Corinthians eleven, and he's always trying to infiltrate infiltrate the church uh, with false teachings with false teachers. Uh, and I believe that uh, divorce and marriage and divorce and remarriage as is, is in our society is one of the ways that Satan will try to uh, infiltrate and uh, weaken the church and hopefully and he hopes to destroy it. So, uh, and, and it's such a complex and emotional issue. It really demands that we take the time to study the scriptures and study the background of the scriptures and understand the historical and contextual, uh, you know, context of each one of the scriptures. And then at the end of it, be willing to admit that there are, there has to be room for different interpretations. Uh, but as 
uh, we're in, encouraged by the scriptures above everything else. We need to love each other mm -hmm. and, and not be judgmental, uh, not you know say my way is the right way, but let's talk about it and ask God for wisdom. Uh, and of course, the elders always have to face the situation of how does this affect the flock. And what kind of uh, stance does uh, does an eldership or leadership of a church uh, need to teach about and even uh, have a stance to protect uh, the members of the church? But if we can understand all that, there can be a lot of uh, discussion, but there can be a lot of uh, love for one another and, and discussion without judgment, uh, you know, without uh, running people away from God because of our judgments. So that's, gotcha. that's why this uh, discussion hopefully will at least get the discussion going uh, among people as it affects all of us. Yeah, you know, John, it's uh, interesting that you bring that up because one of the things that we actually discussed is how um, this is, for, as, for an important a topic as it is, at least when we recorded our last podcast, one of the things that we talked about is how little we talk about it. Uh -huh. And how little, at least publicly or even in conversation, it is addressed. And it seems to be such an important topic, at least to Jesus. So I guess one, uh, one place that we could start is really, uh, as far as Mark 10 is concerned and, and the scripture that we were looking at. Right. What is your understanding, um, not only in that scripture, but I guess the topic in general, biblically speaking, what does the Bible teach about divorce? And I guess after that, we can get into some of the more complex issues with it. Yeah. Well, we have to understand that Jesus was addressing uh, a large crowd, not just the Pharisees, but even the liberal theologians or the non-believers of his time. So that divorce must have been uh, an issue that was affecting uh, the Jewish people at the time. You know, because it's not only Mark 10, but in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, uh, verses 31 and 32, uh, then also in Matthew 19, Luke 16, um, it, it is something that he brings up as an issue of them understanding where their relationship with God is. And so I think today, many, many of us are scared because uh, we all tend to want an easy answer or a more direct or very firm, uh, you know, stance to take on a subject like this. And so I believe a lot of people don't talk about it because they're afraid of, well, what about this situation? You know, what about this that's going on? How do I, how do I deal with this when the Bible isn't even clear on some of the, hopefully some of the things we'll talk about tonight. So in Mark, you know, he's, he's really talking to uh, uh, a crowd that they're, they're dealing with Deuteronomy 24, uh, where, you know, God said that they could write a certificate of divorce. Uh, and then if there's any unclean thing or whatever, you know, extreme thing there, they could write the certificate of divorce. And if you know the history of the Jewish nation and the Jewish rabbis, there are really a couple of thoughts on what this uh, divorce uh, uh, that was allowed. And it's much like what we see uh, our view of divorce in, in the Christian world today. 
there was uh, those in uh, certain rabbis, school of rabbis, that thought the only way for divorce was adultery. And then there on the opposite side of it, there was a group of rabbis that has been called the any cause divorce. And in, in, in other words, you could divorce on any cause uh, that you had. And so he's trying to give some direction to they're asking, okay, is it any cause or is it only adultery? And so he's speaking to a very specific uh, religious and theological discussion going on uh, in the Jewish world at this time. And so they asked, hey, can, you, we, can a man divorce his wife for any cause? And he goes, no, the any cause divorce isn't right. It's only if you have the matter of pornea or sexual morality or, you know, along that line, adultery. Uh, and so he's clarifying among the, the rabbinical thought that it's not just for any cause, that God's view of divorce is so against what he originally designed in Genesis 2 that it can't be in any cause. There has to be a radical reason for divorce. And so he is trying to set them straight. And of course, now we have the issue, what does pornea mean? Uh, what is included in pornea, and there's a whole line of thought on on that. Some people say it's only the sexual immorality, the actual sexual intercourse. Other people says no, say no, it includes pornography, which we get from the word pornea. And so that is a matter of great discussion right now, too. So what we're going through today is what almost like the situation that Jesus was addressing in his uh, his in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 19, right. and Mark chapter 10. Hmm. So, and, you know, I, I'm sure that the rabbinical crowd was pretty sad. Matter of fact, at, in Mark 19, even his own disciples said, hey, this is what it is. Who can be married? It's too hard. You know, that, wow, I mean, if God is this serious about marriage, who can do this? So I believe that Jesus' teaching on divorce is to get all of our attention, to make us dig deeper, make us dig deeper into our relationship with him and also our relationship in our marriages, that it's not uh, something to be lightly entered into or lightly left, but there has to be some very, very deep and good reasons that, uh, that God would say that divorce was even allowed. I don't think he condones divorce because there's no winner in divorce. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter why someone's divorced. There's no winners. You know? and, and the sociological uh, implications, the effect on children, the effect on the church, there are no winners in divorce. And that's why I believe that God is talks so strongly against divorce. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, a, it's one of the things that we have to uh, deal with in our own minds and our own thoughts and help each other by prayer and discussion and studying the Bible together. So now let me, uh, I guess, uh, warm up the fire here a little bit because <laughs> I think one of the difficulties with this particular topic is that in, in one sense, it seems so straightforward, right? Like there's this very clear exception um, that Jesus makes and again, there's a question of the language, again, what cornea really means, and certainly moder uh, the internet and everything that we deal with now 
it adds another layer to that. Um, but there's also the issue of uh, divorce and marriage. And, you know, just to bring up some of the stuff that, that I've uh, discussed with people and some of the things that I guess have come up in conversation here and there is the issue of like, okay, so what happens if somebody, before they were a Christian, they got divorced? What happened if a couple who is a Christian gets divorced? Like, there's all these situations. And again, I think part of the difficulty is that you're dealing, like you said, with a very emotional topic, uh, a topic that usually doesn't involve just two people, but involves them and their family. And if there's children, children, and if there's close friends, close friends, and especially in the context of a, a faith community, again, lots of opinions, lots of differing uh, perspectives. So in your experience, if you could just, I guess, as best as you can touch on some of the, I guess, more complex issues of discussion that you've encountered or that you know exist out there. Okay, well, the, that's that's a very good question because probably I'll go through a couple and there's 18 more you could talk about uh, just because of how crazy people are. Num number one, we got to understand this idea of, well, what happens before they they became Christians? And what if they happened divorced before they became Christians? You know, back in, in Jesus' time, especially as they reached the, Gentile, uh, the Gentiles, that was probably very common. Divorce was a common uh, occasion in most Gentile cultures. And so the fact that, uh, you know, that someone was divorced before they became a Christian was something that the early church faced, you know. So this is not new. Uh, now my and so I've had that like uh, if someone is divorced before they became a Christian, how does that affect their leadership? How can they become elders? Uh, you know, there's there's a whole set of questions like this, and does that really affect? And the 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 problem in discussing it is that in one sense, God's view of marriage came before the law. It was the original covenant from Genesis mm. chapter 2. And so how does that govern everything? Uh, you know, I, I wish that was an easy answer because it's not an easy answer. Uh, now, what most people that I've dealt with and after studying it out and studying it with different elders and different places and teachers is that Personally, I believe that when a person becomes a new creation and becoming a Christian, you know, God justifies them. He doesn't remember all their sins. And so what happened to them before they were Christians, of course, affects them. Because as humans, we cannot forget what happened to us before we became a Christian. But they were, they became a new creature. And so now they, it's how they uh, live their life as a disciple and and their marriages as a, as a, as a disciple now that's that's what I've decided and what the group of elders I'm with have decided to work with before they became Christians they were forgiven they became new new creations but now it's uh, how are they living their life as disciples in their marriages and their relationships 
and even before that in their dating so that they can have at least a good foundation as they enter their marriages. Uh, so that that is more, I think, the, um, the realm that we can deal with. We, may, we have to let God deal with things that we were never a part of because we really don't know. I mean, we might know they got a divorce, but we don't know. But as disciples, we do have a, a relationship with them. We do have the ability to, to make some judgments or, or make some observations and really try to guide them in a spiritual way. And that's, that's where we really have to concentrate our uh, focus on divorce is now that they're disciples, what, how are they living? What is their spiritual outlook? How are, they, how, how are they being close to God? And are they willing to obey God even when it's tough? Even when it doesn't feel good, are they willing to deny themselves so they can be what God wants them to be? So just to clarify, part of what you're just saying here is that there is somewhere out there um, some people that sort of hold to the belief that because God's teaching on marriage came in the garden and way before the law, and ways before society per se, that because of that, whether they were Christians or not, it doesn't matter. It's still the person that was divorced before they were Christians shouldn't remarry, period. Yep. Yep. That, that is especially more towards the traditional restoration movement, uh, leans uh, more that way. But even, you know, but... There, there's a whole big, uh, I can't say big, but there is a whole school of thought that, that, that holds to that teaching. So, John, based on what you're saying, let me just ask a question or make a statement. It's a little bit of both. Uh, and I don't even necessarily want you to answer this now, but I do think it's something that is important for our audience to think about and something that it's important for us to think about. And is the fact that... Um, as you're saying these things and as you're sort of proposing these two views that God, even before there was society sort of held uh, marriage in this high regard. And that because of that, somebody who gets married before they're Christians shouldn't get married. I think one of the makes, one of the things that makes this topic really difficult is the fact that the person that believes that it's not like they're completely wrong. It's not like you can look at them and go like, well, no, that's way off. And I think one of the things that makes this topic really difficult is that you can say that about every single issue of controversy. And it, and it makes it really hard because I think there is no absolute and there is no, no answer that you could say like a hundred percent, like this is the answer. And so for the person that again, has a more conservative view, it's not like they're completely off. Well, that's right. And that's why, I think Paul says, now we only know in part and we only see in part. We won't know everything until, until heaven. So that's why we can't really judge one another, no matter what the other person's view is, because we do not know completely 100% all of the different facets of how God looks at this, at this uh, subject. And he, and he throws us off because he did even though he had this view in, in Genesis 2, he, he, he condoned divorce. He, Abram he sent Hagar away to preserve the covenant line, you know, the, 
that Ezra told the Israelites to divorce their foreign wives. Uh, you know, uh, even in First Corinthians seven, he says, if an if an unbelieving spouse leaves, you're no longer bound. The covenant is no longer in force. So there's enough of those uh, type of uh, you know exceptions, or even mar uh, divorce being condoned by God, that it should cause us all to not be so judgmental on other people who have a different viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me like it's, it's one of those things that <clears throat> we have to check our, our opinions at the door and realize that, that there is no way for us to be able to say with any, with 100% certainty, I know exactly how God is going to view this. And that part of it's based on our faith mm -hmm. and part of it's based on our conscience of, man, I believe that I've read the scriptures and this is what I believe God is telling me. And that's how I have to live my life. Um, and uh, if you are reading it a little bit differently, then I have, to, I have to be okay with that, that I can express my opinion in a way that says, look, as far as I'm concerned, I view it and read it differently. And I think that you ought to consider this. But at the end of the day, it's everybody's individual decisions. Um, we also have to figure out how do I handle myself if somebody acts in a way that isn't in keeping with my understanding of the Bible. Um, and because there's so many shades of, of, of uh, these situations, there's no way, like Rodrigo was saying, of being able to say, in every situation, this is the way to do it or to read it or to proceed. It's tough. Well, even, you know, people read uh, Jesus's uh, teachings in Matthew and Mark, and those, you know, they seem to be very strong, except for Pornea. You, you cause the person you divorce to commit adultery, uh, make them adultery themselves. And then Paul comes in in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, and says, you know, a woman shouldn't separate from her husband, but if she does. In other words, well, wait a second. She shouldn't, but if she does... Is like that. That just throws a, a you know a, a wrench in the whole works, because he just says she just has to remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. In other words, he wasn't going to stop a woman separating from her husband. And remember, they didn't have legal separation as we know it today. Separation in those days was a divorce, and so he didn't say if she does throw her out, disfellowship her you know, make her anathema to the church. He just says that, that she would have to remain unmarried for her decision. But the, the, the call to love is to love even when we disagree with someone or that someone we say, well, that, I don't believe the scriptures, this is God's you know, desire, but I'm going to still love you as a person so we can all try to find out what God is teaching us. So I'm wondering if there's a difference in those scriptures that you just referenced, Dad, because um, the scripture in Mark, you know, he's addressing, well, men and women, I guess. But one of the things we talked about, um, I think we talked about it last time, was Mark 10, 11. Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And then he addresses the women. Whereas that scripture in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, 
if a woman separates from her husband. Mm -hmm. Um, but he doesn't do the same thing that Jesus does where he flips it around and says the same thing about men. Do you know, or do you think that there's any, yeah, well, he does in that whole passage in verse 11 and it says a man should not leave his wife. Okay. Okay. And that's how he ends off in first Corinthians seven, 10 and 11 there. Uh, well, but the thing is in, in making that kind of, uh, you know, exegesis of, of a Matthew or Mark or uh, first Corinthians, you know, number one, you know, that, that we don't have all the words that Jesus said, number one, in each one of those, the, the, the writers of the different gospel uh, letters wrote to specific audiences. And so they emphasized the teaching of Jesus for those audiences. They, they didn't try to do a word for word. They didn't try to do, they did more, you know, the, how is this going to affect the audience we're writing to? Hmm. So I think, you know, saying that, okay, Mark, he did add the women, Matthew, he didn't in Matthew five. I, I think that's, that's, that's probably trying to take something that's beyond our ability to figure out exactly what he said to those groups, mm-hmm. because we, they don't pretend to be word for word, you know, recordings of what he taught. So what you're saying is that, for example, in Mark where it says um, a husband shouldn't leave his wife, that he's saying that specifically maybe because that suited the audience that Mark was writing better? Yeah, because, you know, Mark, huh. if you, you understand the, the, the traditional view of who Mark was written to, he's written, writing to the Romans, writing to uh, that, that type of Gentile audience, uh, much more than Matthew is writing to the Jews. And so one of the common things in the, in the Gentile culture, especially among uh, the Roman audience, is that the men had the ability to divorce their wives where the women may have been just as sexually active, they didn't divorce their husbands as much. So he's talking, he's talking to a specific situation. But of course, in Mark he does, he said, and if a woman does something. But so, you know, you gotta, you gotta understand the, the audience he's talking to and realize that they're writing uh, specific teachings for that audience, not to explain everything to everybody and everywhere. Wow. There's, like, well, like we said this is this is a very complex issue. I mean, there's like layers uh, upon layers here. Uh, let me ask you this, John. So, um, I'm sure you've dealt with situations um, that are difficult. How how do you go about like treating this kind of situation? Say. I'll I'll give you a scenario, and you can tell me a if you've dealt with it, and b. I guess how you've gone about it. So say, for example, there is uh, a couple that belongs to the church who divorces and is not necessarily for the clear cut reason of uh, unfaithfulness or sexual immorality. And then years go by, one of them meets somebody in the church and they go in like, man, I really want to marry this person. A, have you encountered that situation, uh, which I'm sure you have, and B, how how do you, like, even some of the stuff that we've talked about here very briefly, like, how do you even go about 
beginning to address this stuff. Yeah, I've unfortunately had to deal with that situation. And uh, the number one thing is no, no one person can do this on their own. That's why I believe that God wanted a plurality of elders. He wanted a plurality of leadership. He didn't want it to all depend on one person because one person's judgment in all this is way too, way too clouded by his own, you know, past, his own, his own bent on the situation. And that's why we need a group of people to come together and really talk about this and really try to decide that because everybody has their own personal experience, their own prejudices, that, uh, that, that I believe that's why God wanted it to be more than one person uh, dealing with this because uh, there, there is a need for a collective wisdom uh, that comes from a situation like what you're talking about. And it, it, I wish there was an easy answer because there isn't an easy answer. One of the things we have decided, though, is that we would we would counsel all that we could uh, about this finding someone else if you haven't been divorced for a, a clearly defined reason. Uh, and that, but then too, how do we treat someone who doesn't follow our counsel? And that's always the difficult one. And what we found is that really, if someone is going against our counsel with this issue, there's usually a deeper issue. It's not just the divorce and remarriage issue. There are some other issues that we have to deal with along with, uh, uh, with the divorce and marriage about just authority advice, um, and following that, you know, as it talks about in Hebrews, of uh, letting the elders' job be a joy and not a burden. Uh, and so, what what has happened is usually people do what they end up wanting to do anyway, and they find some way. And uh, but if they know that it's not really condoned in the congregation that we're in, they usually go off somewhere else, unfortunately. I wish there was a better news with that, <laughs> but most of them find some other place to go instead of really stick it out and work it out uh, with people. And that's why this whole idea of a covenant relationship or this, this love one another, uh, you know, that Paul had to deal with in 1 Corinthians, especially uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, that whole area of they disagreed strongly that how do you stick this out to try to find out what God is leading people in all this instead of condemning one another, of sticking it out and really listening and loving each other through this. You know, and that's hard, but, but most of all what we have, uh, what we face is that people today, it's, uh, we've had several of where people uh, have either been married and found out their partner is the same sex attracted or is is a uh, they call it addicted to pornography, if, you know, whatever uh, that term is. Some people don't believe there's an addiction. I personally believe that there is some type of addictive behavior there. And so we've had to really work through, uh, first of all, our own beliefs uh, about uh, about this. Can someone get divorced because of these issues? 
And then also, how do you work through uh, the lying and the deceitfulness, uh, all that that comes with uh, that type of uh, discovery? You know, we had one where uh, someone had been open about their same-sex attraction, and a woman decided uh, to marry in the same way, but then it came out after they got married, he, he got involved in something. And she really tried to work it out, and he just, he just made it worse by his own defensiveness. And that finally ended up in divorce. And that's where our, we had to come to the decision because of his deceit and his, how he had treated her that, uh, you know, we said this is not ideal, but we considered her, her divorce uh, as something that we, we know about and we're supporting her and she's a member of good standing. Uh, and yet he didn't stay around, but it wasn't because of that. It was because of some really serious issues with uh, deceitfulness and what not want, you know, uh, that came in his life that came with that. And the pornography one, it's the same way. We supported the woman because he had been involved in pornography, but not only that, but he had been involved in actual physical relationships. And so that we had to again make the statement after working with, I mean, I'm talking about working with him for years, not, not days, not even weeks, but years to try to reconcile uh, that, you know, she did have the right to divorce him. And again, that has caused, that causes issues, but we've had to do a lot of explaining to the church what the process we've gone through, the time we've spent with them. Here's what the elders have done. Here's what we've decided. And here's why we've decided. If you have any questions, talk to us. It's because you have that whole group out in the out in the membership that have so many different feelings and thoughts on this that we had to really be as transparent as we could about the whole process and why we said those divorces were we 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 I hate to use the word approved, but that you know that we still considered the woman divorcing their husband be members in good standing where with other divorces you know people want divorce we said no because you know why aren't those accepted the same way and there's you know it is a in some sense a case-by-case -case basis because there's so much spiritual background and so much other background that has to be considered when you're making this decision to help people uh john one of the situations that i think um brings up a lot of discussion and certainly a lot of thought is uh, a situation where maybe there's abuse in the marriage mm -hmm. and maybe the husband is abusive whether it's emotionally or physically and uh, I think one of the, th the things that's tough about that is that uh, the exception isn't on physical abuse but certainly that marriage is very harmful say to the wife like what do you what do you do there like what do you have Again, like, how do you approach that situation? Well, you know, again, some people think that it's uh, that there is uh, some some uh, reason that abuse is covered because, you know, for example, in Exodus 21, it says if a slave wife is, doesn't get what is due, due to her from her Jewish master that she's free to divorce him. She, he doesn't provide food, doesn't provide emotional uh, support and all that, that she is, she is free to divorce uh, the, the, the master. 
And of course, again, that don't want to get into the whole thing about slavery. It's a little different than slavery that uh, you know we had in the United States. But and then you tie that in with First Corinthians seven, that really a lot of people, and you know, we're still dealing with it here. A lot of people say, well, that's how you cover the abuse part, because they the the spouse what and not just the man, of course, but the one of the spouses is not providing. Uh, either love, support, or emotional support, or physical support, do uh, in a marriage, and so uh, you know that that's where a lot of people go to. You tie Exodus 21 and First Corinthians 7 together about uh, that's why he said he would say a woman should not divorce or separate from her husband, but if she does, well here here's the reason why because some type of abuse, physical, sexual or uh, uh, emotional abuse. And of course, if it's physical and sexual abuse, then it's a whole legal situation too. Right. So that's, that's a whole, whole another can of worms that we could open up. Well, but the, again, I think adding the layers of complexity, say, say that does happen. Say that there is a, um, there is a woman who divorces because her husband was abusive in a number of ways, right? would you then say that that woman could marry again? Okay. Would I say, or would the elders say? That's too- I guess where and where have you landed, be it collectively or, okay. or whatever? Well, collectively, we've, we've landed, uh, and the group of elders I'm landed, is that if it's for something that we think is – like that, which we see in the scriptures that God deals with, that they could remarry. What we would say is that if someone just divorces because uh, they're tired of, uh, you know, tired of the marriage, which seems to be happening now more, you know, because with people with their Disney view of marriage where everything's supposed to be exciting and, <laughs> you know, everything happily ever after, so they, they tend to give up easily. We would say, we would use, if you do separate, you can't remarry because you're not you're not you're not divorcing for a uh a dis- destroying of a god-given covenant relationship you're just trying to get divorced because you don't want to be in it anymore and i think one of the uh consequences from that is first corinthians 7 verse 10 and 11 is that they they can't they can't be married again and so we tell people that we're not going to stop you from getting a divorce but if you do we're going to tell you know you can't be in the singles uh, can't date while you're here because you're you're not doing this because of a breaking of a covenant you're doing this because of your own selfish reasons wow one of the things i'm struck by just listening to it is is how different this is from what you see on entertainment news about the way that our world um, acts and how there's no regard like like this is very different that this is very much a cultural insular kind of, kind of thing of this is what our community does. And that, um, that the whole set of dealings and the whole set of how we, uh, observe and approve of, of marriages is, is very unique. And it's an interesting, interesting thing even to kind of have my mind kind of dancing between the secular view of, of marriage and divorce and the, the, the church version as well. 
and just realizing that, man, God really designed us to be a part of a community that watches out for each other, that that nothing in our lives. I mean, even in Genesis three, where, where God looks at man and he says, he looked at him and saw that he was, um, it wasn't good for man to be alone. And he starts putting people around him and it starts obviously with his wife and and kids and the community kind of grows that it's not, God does not want us to have a, a lifestyle where we're doing this on our own. But he wants us to be a part of a group of people who says, man, let me help you live. Let me help you make decisions. Let me help you come to an understanding of what, what holy, holy, uh, righteous living looks like. Living that is right. Living that is for God and based on, on God's commands. And it, it's a very humbling process as well. Um, you know, to sit before a, a group of people and say, you know, here's kind of the situation I'm in. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what we're thinking about. Here's what we've been wrestling with. And to, to kind of put faith in the judgment and the wisdom of other people um, is a very unique kind of thing. Um, and something that we have to remind ourselves that this is not the way of the world. This is not the way that everybody else interacts. This is a very different kind of kind of system. Right. Well, you know, this is where I believe the cultural, the how Satan infiltrates the church with the cultural norms. Uh, if you look at marriage at, in the in the Jewish society, even the Jewish society today, marriage is a community event. It's not a personal event. And getting ready for marriage is not a personal event. You know, and it is something that affects the whole community. It's seen by the community. And even God refers to the church as his bride, the, com- the church as a community as his bride. And he uses that, that analogy because this is so much greater than my personal happiness, what I want out of life. The, I, you know, I've read a book and it says the Disney view of, wow, this is my soulmate and I'm so happy uh, instead of the reality of that this is a covenant made before God and before a community. Uh, and that's, you know, that even begs the question of we got to do a much better job of helping people as they're getting ready for marriage. You know, this, why this, this, uh, American or especially modern view of, you can't tell me what to do with, I mean, we can't tell them what to do, but if we don't have influence over them before they get married, it definitely is going to get worse while they're married. And then of course, uh, getting ready for, uh, the type of love you see in the book of Ruth, the chesed love, which goes beyond feeling. It goes beyond, oh, this is my personality or what can this person give? But I'm doing this for the good of the other person. And that's the kind of love that is referred to in the Old Testament for marriage. Mm-hmm. Of course, we say agape in the New Testament, but it's a, it's a great study of the type of love. And how do we help people earlier on in their marriage before it's a Mm-hmm. catastrophe you know are people getting people in their lives before it's a catastrophe or do we wait until it's a catastrophe and then say hey come fix it and sometimes it may be beyond emotionally beyond fixing so what do we do then it's yeah. to god for wisdom i think what's something that's amazing having this conversation um is just how god invites us into the discussion of this 
um, you know, God could have very easily just laid down some cut and dry things that we could apply across the board. And yet it seems like God wants us to have these discussions, to push each other, to allow for diversity of thought and diversity of opinion and to be in discussion with each other. Um, like what you were saying, the community aspect. Um, I just think that's an amazing choice. I always think a lot about how I think it's crazy that God gave us free will <laughs> because it's like the most radical lightning rod type thing that he could have given us. And in this case, you know, he wants us to have discussions about it. I mean, Jesus was here on earth. He could have very well have just said something very cut and dry. And yet um, he still wants us to have discussion. And so I think it's very encouraging, but it's also very challenging because it, our responsibility, I feel like, is to continually grow towards maturity. Um, both individually, but also collectively, um, because these discussions are going to make us grow, make us think, make us ask questions and talk about things that maybe aren't comfortable. I don't know. I just think it's amazing that this is the path that God has chosen yeah. for us to have these kinds of discussions. And the difficult part of it then is <laughs> we all want it to be cut and dry, but you know, being a Christian is messy. Being yeah. in a community is messy. Not everything's cut and dry. And I know people all, we all want it to be cut and dry. I think that's why the Jews like the Ten you know, the Commandments. It was cut and dry. But mm. relationships are messy. Christian relationships are messy. We, we've got to be, be governed by love and, and respect. Even if they do th other people do things we, just, we don't agree with at all. And let God be the judge in a lot of things. But at the same time, if we call people to really be disciples, then that will that will that'll weed out. If you want to use that term, that'll separate those who really want to be mm -hmm. disciples and those who want. Yeah. Even though it is messy. Uh, I just looked at the clock and realized how long we've been talking, and this conversation has been awesome, and time has flown. So let me ask you three questions to sort of close this off, and I think um, we. I feel like we've covered a lot and I feel like at the same time we haven't, we haven't covered enough, but I, I do think uh, from the discussion that we've had, I think I have three questions that I think are really important. And one of them is uh, obviously with all the different opinions out there and all the different possible interpretations and for as sensitive as this issue is, uh, how do you reach consensus would be one of my questions. And the last two questions is, I guess, given everything that you've uh, had to help people with and all the things that you've experienced and seen, and I guess some of the challenging situations that you've encountered, what is it that you would like to tell young people out there that are thinking about marriage that, given the conversation that we're having, that you would like them to know? And the last question, and I think a question to close this off would be, uh, to the people that are church leaders out there, what would you like them to think about or what would be your desired way to approach this particular topic? So again, 
three questions. One of them is, how do you reach consensus? What would you tell young people out there about marriage and, and sort of the commitment of it? And third is, what would you tell leaders out there that things that they could, maybe a way that they could approach this or things that they should be very mindful of when it comes to the, the topic of divorce? Okay. Well, the number one on reaching consensus can be a very difficult one, but that's, you know, the as you read through uh, what Paul and Jesus, even the Old Testament, uh, teaches about respecting one another and really discussion with one another and praying with one another. Uh, I think the consensus can only come about if we're on our knees. It can't come about because we all agree intellectually. And for us to all be able to have willingness to take the time to reach consensus. Consensus doesn't have to be an immediate thing and really rely on God to work through it. Uh, I've just been privileged to work with people that when we have those times and, and it's taken a long time, but we all do finally come up. Okay. What is the best thing for our church? I can't govern what, someone makes a decision for another church. You know, I may not do it where I am, but I, the, I, let, I think God has put the leaders that need to be in the different churches where they need to be. But what is the best thing for our church? And once we've really had those discussions and talked and prayed and given it time to marinate and really discuss and study the scriptures and go back and get other people involved with the situations that we've been involved with, it's all worked out after a while that we, we come up with a, a type of consensus where all of us, you know, give a little. You know, all of us, it, 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 is, it is a definite uh, activity of compromise. And what is acceptable compromise for the good of the church? And, you know, not, I, I, I haven't been in any of these situations where any one person you know, it was all their way. It's, you know, it's, it is a, it's all talk about it so that there can be an acceptable compromise on whatever stance we take. And again, it's a lot of people aren't, aren't uh, comfortable with that, but if we really respect one another and pray and trust each other and trust each other's motives, uh, you know, it, that's what it came out to. And basically God used what we've, said to the church the stances we've taken what we have we challenged god has worked out all these all the situations for the best not that we did things perfectly i think mm. god worked in spite of us but he, but in spite of our mm. lack of understanding or lack of things but the very fact that we took a stand and tried to help and tried to make mm. some direction i believe god worked through it so the main thing is take your time listen trust but do take a stance of some sort and let God work through that. You know, none of the stances we take are set in stone. We can always change as we learn, as God works in our lives. It's just, are we willing to take a stance from what we do understand and what we do at this time? Yeah. And, you know, and like I said, I, I, it'll look different between the different churches. And that's okay. The, you know, in the first century, Jerusalem church looked very different from the Galatian church. They were still both Christians. They are still both Christians, even though they looked very different in their culture and how they did things and probably some of the stances they took, you know, as far as what they would consider biblical stances. And I believe marriage and divorces 
one of those things that we're going to have to allow ourselves to, some freedom and people freedom to think differently than us. The second part of the question is, how, what do I say to young Christian and young people as they get ready? And I saw young people as they get ready. You know, Paul said this, if any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Mm. That you probably don't know as much about this, mm. about getting married as you think you do. You need outside eyes. You need outside experience. You need people who don't look through the eyes of love. You know, every time I do marriage counseling and we do this, uh, Ephesians 5, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, respect your husband. They all say, oh, yeah, we got that down. We'll have no problem with it. But it didn't take long. for They're talking to us. Boy, how do I love my wife? My husband makes these choices. How do I respect him? You know, yeah. they really don't know. You really don't know as much as you think you do. Get people involved in your life early in your relationship who see you grow together, who see your strengths and weaknesses together. It's still your decision, but, you know, Proverbs, you know, the way of wisdom and the rest of it, it, it applies to relationships probably as much or more than some other things because other things are pretty cut and dry, but relationships are so emotionally and, and uh, in background, you know, experience-based that you need someone who's, that, that's not in all the emotions and doesn't have the, all the same experiences that can set you right on how do you treat each other? How do you react in the situation? Who, are you controlling? Are you controlling? Uh, you know, and really, how do you communicate through all this? We all need help in all those areas. So we, the people need to take a lot more time uh, to think about getting married than, you know, oh, wow, this is my soulmate. I'm in love with them right away. Uh, you know, that there's, there is a building of relationships uh, that, that is needed. And think about it. If God said in the first century, in the Old Testament, that you have to love your wife and you must respect your husband, and most of those were arranged marriages, how much more are we responsible when we get to choose who we marry, making sure we do it right? You know, and as far as church leaders, I think is, is remember, we treat everybody with respect and love that God looks at all of us and he, he, respect, he, he, he justifies, he forgives us in spite of our weaknesses. And are we treating people like we want to be treated by God? Are we listening to people like we want God to listen to us? Are, are we really protecting the church, um, you know, like God protects his church? Go, the elders here just had to make a statement about divorce, that we don't condone it, that people, but people make decisions that we don't agree with, and, you know, we need to help them, but we love them, and we want to help them. We're not here to condemn them. Basically, that's a, you know, thing of, uh, of the of the of the statement we made that's the synopsis of it and so that we need to let people know that even in something as touchy or emotional as this that even if they make decisions we don't agree with that we still our our goal is how can we get them to heaven not how can they get them to agree with us and if we set up barriers by the way we react so that people don't listen to us anymore or don't want to be influenced by the scriptures then there's no chance for them to go to heaven. There's no chance for them to repent if they're wrong, you know. And we've got we've got to figure out how to keep them 
involved so that we have a chance. Wow, that's really awesome. That's, you know, that's a perfect way to close this, John Brush. You, you have taken us to school. And it's been awesome. Uh, this has been uh, very enjoyable. I am sure that there will be many out there with many more questions. And uh, if you do, uh, you know, just let us know through social media at Ether MMC. Maybe we'll bring John back for another one of these. I know that I've been uh, very uh, thoroughly educated. And again, I feel like we've talked for a good long while here. and We've just scratched the surface. And uh, John, thank you so much for being on with us. This has been excellent. And uh, you're awesome. And you're a lot wiser than I thought you were. So without, uh, with that, uh, let us close this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we do want to remind you that this is a crowdfunding effort. And really, we do this to help people grow spiritually, uh, help them grow in their walk with God. So if you'd like to help us with that, uh, consider contributing to us at patreon.com forward slash ethermmc. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.